Hello and welcome to the Photo Op Podcast. This is a very special episode. Yes, it is. Very, very special. It's so special. We're going to get a little bit of applause. Hey. Yay. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, audience. Why, why is this such a special episode? This is episode 100. 100 of the times. Photo Op Podcast. Yeah. If this is uh, your, your first episode, welcome. Um, you got yeah. a lot to catch up on like 50 hours <laughs> yeah yeah it's a little bit anyway i'm ben lucas and i'm Stuart marlandis and this is photo up the podcast where we talk about all things photo and video yeah. so now week, in the triple digits now in the triple digits so we have a special kind of three-part episode coming to you first uh part is going to be listener question uh the second part is going to be uh we are going to talk about the absolute best photo stuff of all time either just stuff in general or stuff that is important Important to us personally. Uh, we each came up with a top 10 list. So you are getting the top 20 things from us today. Yep. Um, of all time. And then and then we we have a we have a fun uh, special piece of entertainment for you to close out today's episode, which we'll we'll get to a little bit later. So first, our listener question. Uh I don't have it in front of me. It came from me. <laughs> it came from me from last time. So last episode we talked about um budgeting for your business. How do you afford all the expensive stuff? You don't. Mm-hmm. Um and uh at the very end we kind of ended on the question, kind of ran out of time a little bit more like actually. Mm-hmm. But we ended on the question um that something at least I feel like is important. Maybe none of you care at all. But mm-hmm. what is the difference between overhead costs and scaling costs? I'm about to say something controversial. Scaling costs are great. Give me more scaling costs. I want scaling costs. You all want more day costs? Long. Yes, I want Who more scaling costs. Who wants more costs, costs Ben? Me. Me. Mm. This guy wants more scaling costs. Give it to me. <laughs> Give me more costs. Okay. But first, let's define those things to talk about why one is good and why one is terrible. So, overhead cost is something that whether you do a million dollars in business or zero dollars in business, you have to pay for it anyway. Some examples my Adobe subscription. What are. What are some examples of overhead costs that you've got? Oh, um, I mean, everything. Rent. <laughs> Rent. Yeah. 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 If you're renting a studio space, yeah. um, the maintenance on your camera gear, like buying batteries, like utilities, are, all you, of the really you, fun stuff. Utilities. <laughs> um, if you have any um, subscriptions or licenses or anything mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that, whether you do uh, $0 in business or a million dollars in business, all of that stuff is crap you have to pay for anyway. And those are bad. You want to keep your overhead as low as possible because if your overhead is too high, you're going to have a bad time running a profitable business. Now, here's what I mean by scaling cost. My scaling costs are the costs that only go up as I make more money. So for example, if um, I am doing so many client galleries that I have to up the um, tier that I pay for for my online client gallery software, Mm -hmm. well, it's the reason why I'm paying more money is because I have so much revenue coming in that to be able to handle all that bandwidth yeah i need more space right if i'm just upping the space and not getting paid for it that's that's not great but um another example is oh no i paid bay photo five thousand dollars last month Mm. why did i pay them five thousand dollars because i made so much money in print so many people ordered stuff from me and guess what a print cost is a very small fraction of the revenue that came in so if i were to have paid you know bay photo five thousand dollars last month think about how much more revenue came in so um a friend of mine 
used to run um, a subscription box. Mm -hmm. And so for her company, the subscription box, she was testing out different forms of marketing. And one thing that she found is, and this is not true for everybody, especially probably not for photographers, but for people that sell a very inexpensive subscription-based thing, this at least worked for her, you know, several years back. So for her, uh, Facebook ads were the thing where for every dollar she spent in Facebook ads, she would earn $5. And so she tested this at scale. So she started with, you know, $100. Then she did $1,000. And then she's like, next month, I'm going to put $10,000 into it. Because for, <laughs> which, which is like, scary. ooh, ooh scary. scary number. <laughs> but she had been testing this and ramping up mm-hmm. and it kept working at scale for every dollar she put in. She got $5 back. And wouldn't you take that? deal yeah for sure For every one dollar bill you i give you you'll give me a five that is like, an incredible amount of return that is yeah like if you have something that is the only it's kind of like when people complain about paying taxes of mm-hmm. like okay but you're really only paying taxes if you made a ton of money mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um asterisks on that our tax system is super effed up here in the u.s so that's not necessarily true but yeah. let's just <laughs> let's just say for the purposes of this of like if it is something that your cost only goes up because you're making a ton of money congratulations you're making a ton of money that's a great mm-hmm. problem to have i'll take that problem over oh my god i have all this overhead no way to pay it off for sure. Day. So scaling costs, amazing. Overhead costs, bad. Um, figure out what for you is overhead versus scaling. Um, and if it's a scaling cost that brings in income, jack it up. For sure. There you go. So um, yeah, that's kind of uh, falls back to last week's business budgeting episode. And I wanted uh, us to be able to kind of cover that. So I know it's not really a listener question. It comes from me. But hey, close enough. Um, I do have another listener question in the pipeline that we're going to answer next time. But for now, we've got plenty to do in this episode. So yeah, without further ado, uh, we are we're ready to talk about the top photo things of all time. Absolutely. All right. So, Stuart, what are your top 10 photo best photo stuff of all time? All right. Well, let me get my list. <laughs> uh, so, the best photo stuff of all time, and, and some of these may be stretching the definition a little bit, but uh, bear with us. Um, in no particular order, I'm going to start with the Nikon F-mount legendary legendary mount so the nikon f mount uh was the mount that nikon used for decades and decades and decades until they just started going to mirrorless and it is only now kind of moving on although they still have adapters to um adapt the f mount if you have one of those legendary pieces of glass with an adapter Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. it's still great so um why the f mount is so particularly important to me is uh well my dad uh was a photographer he has since retired but he was a photographer and everything he shot with uh was the nikon f mount and so i learned bumbling along as a kid using the f mount and the absolute top tier <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and unfortunately uh what the f mount gave me beyond um expecting all of these great lenses to work on all of these different cameras all the time was uh a let's say a rich taste <laughs> like i i was used to a gear that i could never afford um else uh, otherwise and was used to that for a very long period of time um so moving into the world where i started paying for my own things was difficult um but it meant that my taste was taste always very high on a beans yeah. and rice budget yeah yeah for sure <laughs> um so cool that i could use that thanks dad not so cool 
it kind of warped my perceptions of equipment for a long time and I had to get over it. Um, related to that is the Fujifilm S series. Now, this is going to be a camera that probably a lot of people don't remember. It wasn't particularly notable. Um, it wasn't particularly popular in comparison to the classics from Nikon and Canon of its day. But um, it was unique in that, one, it used the F-mount. So, props F-mount. But two, it used this really interesting sensor that Fujifilm developed with that used uh, octagonal pixels. So instead of the standard square pixels with three subpixels that you see everywhere else, they were actual little octagons. Um, now, this gave you better XY resolution, um, but your diagonal resolution was worse, just a geometry. Um, why this is important to me is it was something that um, I thought was... frankly just really cool um as a younger person and it i I was always kind of defending this camera i feel like Like i shot with this camera for a long time it was the first camera that like i really like had on me all the time that i used all the time um and it was uh, i never met another person that shot with this camera and so i was always talking about how this technology was really cool and different and here's why it's helpful um that resolution thing that I mentioned before. And it kind of, I don't know, maybe it's just because I like, I dig my feet in more if I meet any resistance, but instead of being uh, convinced that other cameras were better because they were more standard, uh, I increasingly just pushed back and said, no, this is really cool. This alternative kind of tech is really cool. And that led me later on to try uh, transflective mirrors in Sony's like Minolta acquisition stuff at at the time and kind of um, inspired me going forward to continue to look at what's not necessarily the mainstream, what's upcoming, what's a different, what could be useful, um, what is kind of out of the box uh, equipment-wise. Um, so yeah, Fujifilm S-series, you, cool I mean, series you of cameras. Uh, you definitely love the tech of, oh, yeah. of a thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I I honestly do not give a crap about the tech <laughs> of a thing. I care what can I do with the thing. And you're yep. like, but the underlying tech is so cool, yep. Yep. which is why I think we had very uh, different perspectives when the Lytro came out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're like, ooh, this tech is really cool. I'm like, yes, but what can you do with it? And then, uh, unfortunately, and then they didn't do much they, with it. They had a very exciting first step, and I was the only naysayer. And then mm-hmm. when the company failed, I'm like, I told you. Yeah. All of you yelled at me, but I was right. You were right. You were right. Uh, moving on more cameras, uh, I'm going to say GoPro in general, uh, for me specifically, it was the hero three is where I got into GoPros. That's when I finally took the leap and, and felt that they were worth, uh, my time and money. But GoPro has opened a tremendous amount of doors for me personally. I've done a lot of shooting with GoPros personally, professionally, um, work fleet of them. I have a lot of GoPros, um, stuff that I shot on GoPros actually attracted the attention of GoPro, the company, um, on more than one occasion. Uh, they were sort of an early, uh, I don't know, an early experiment for me in, in non DSLR form factors. And it really worked out. Um, I was in the very early edge of people working on uh, with drones. And early on, they didn't have dedicated cameras like they do now. And so you would mount a GoPro or another action camera to the drone and shoot with that. And so I was somebody that did a lot of that work. That got me a decent amount of attention, um, which is why the next thing is the DJI Phantom, the original. Um, now, I was building... Um, you were doing drones before that I was doing out. drones before this, to be fair. Um, but this was kind of a... 
It made this it easy and accessible. Yeah, this was a dramatic moment for me. I picked one up, and it was so much easier than the janky rigs that I built. Um, but also, it was very easy for everybody else. And there were a few years where I held on to that market a little bit, where I was making a lot of money uh, shooting with stuff that not everybody was really using yet. Unfortunately, the Phantom kickstarted the process of everybody getting into drones, and I have since largely abandoned that market professionally. <laughs> but yeah. I, I, I threatened to come back into it here and there. Um, I still have drones. I still buy DJI stuff because it's frankly great but um it was a big shift both positive and negative uh next one the canon 5d mark ii i didn't own this camera but this camera is the one that put dslr as a video uh, piece of equipment on the mark on the map now the mark one kind of started it but the mark ii is where they really kicked it out the very first short film shot on a dslr was uh vincent lafay's short shot on the 5d mark ii Mm -hmm. and this is honestly um of like look what we can do with low light look what we can do in small cramped locations on moving vehicles look what the possibilities are because professional cinematography prior to this point required ginormous oversized rigs and this and like six figure rigs not just big rigs but yeah expensive so not only did it democratize it and make it small but it also made it accessible and open the possibilities of what cinematography could do without cgi or six-figure budgets for sure insane yeah it was uh the market even just a few years after the 5d mark ii looked so different than the market just the five years prior it was a landslide shift in the industry and something that absolutely i really appreciated as somebody that was from an an early age um kind of interested in thinking outside the box interested in looking at how you could use equipment different ways um for that to be um underlined and supported um so well by both a piece of equipment even though i never ended up buying that piece of equipment but then the industry as a whole was a very exciting time um so the 5d mark ii it before you move on i do do have kind of an add-on to Mm -hmm. that the 5d mark ii so monumentally important um what i shoot with right now is a discontinued camera the 5d mark Mm three so obviously just one step up what's the difference between the two and the three um better sensor for better low light uh, better autofocus, a uh, faster burst speed, and um, they actually added a headphone jack so you can monitor your audio uh, yeah, levels. That was important. That was the huge kind of like, ah, oh, why didn't we think of that before? But otherwise, like basically your numbers went up. Yeah, but it didn't yeah. do any, besides the headphone jack, it didn't do anything drastically different. The 5D Mark II is still a phenomenal camera, mm-hmm. um, and it is definitely what kick-started all of the cameras a small handheld dslr mirrorless revolution getting into the video sphere for sure yeah i mean canon knocked it out of the park i mean the the 5d line in general is legendary um as you said you you still use them today like i own four of they're them. still they're still <laughs> they're still great to this day i mean they like they like killed it from practically mark one but really mark two is where they mark, hit their stride mark two was really yeah. where it's at yeah 5D Mark II. Um, following up on that, like you said, this kickstarted the DSLR video market and it has since moved on. The entire industry has now basically moved on to mirrorless. Um, and in parentheses, I'm going to say mirrorless 
Panasonic, 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 why not? Panasonic, Panasonic and Sony. Panasonic. Um, nope, nope, nope. It's, <laughs> it's, it's Panasonic now. <laughs> um, we are filming this episode on a Lumix uh, G85, a which Panasonic, is Panasonic, yeah. Panasonic uh, Micro Four Thirds mirrorless. Um, I was in this weird kind of Sony Minolta land and leapt into the E mount on the Sony side, uh, which Canon kind of started the industry shift and then sony came by and said okay well what if we like outcompete like full-on cinema cameras for like a, a couple thousand bucks in a body um and that they just kind of i mean they they obviously saw a market and wanted to take that market yeah. and so they just started putting insane i mean they competed with themselves like that was the interesting thing about sony is sony has a huge and rich uh history in doing cinema equipment and they were totally cool with who cares? We're going to put this this insane cinema capability, these amazing sensors in increasingly cheap and small bodies. Um, and that just caused another shift. I mean, the, the A7S line of just like seeing in the dark, everybody had to pay attention and compete with that. It shifted yeah. the industry forward again. If, if you guys are kind of new to the cinema sphere um, when it comes to equipment, if you think a $6,000 camera is expensive, oh, no. no, 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 no. Yeah, it's expensive for a still camera, mm-hmm. but when it comes to cinema quality video... Oh, just uh, just type in Ari Alexa and watch your brain explode. Yeah, or any of the high end. I mean, even the high end, like it's kind of pushed prices down in general because you still have the Ari market. But, you know, even like Red um, came out and sort of I mean, they, they did more cinema cameras, but still kind of going with the still, mirrorless still 40 DSLR kind of thing for a, um, for a full Red package. Yeah, you know, it's it's uh, even even Sony's top end DSLR right now which is the alpha one is yeah yeah, $6,500 like so cheap in comparison so they really push the industry forward both in quality but um, also in price Uh, I still can't afford one but they are cheap (laughs) relatively speaking relatively speaking Um, and then Panasonic kind of filled in the gaps like they really ran with the micro four thirds format they're kind of the the cheap and cheerful in comparison perform extremely well like they're the bang for the buck king where Sony might be the Funny enough, even though we just talked about how it's not expensive, Sony might be the expensive end of the mirrorless video world. Uh, Panasonic is the like you're getting in a tremendous amount for your yeah. dollar, and the GH three GH line in general, the GH three, four, five, six, um, those have all been used for like feature length films. Mm-hmm. Um, really amazing stuff for these tiny cameras that i think people would otherwise overlook, but they just they kill it. I mean, we shoot on one all the time. I have another one. They're great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Panasonic in general. Panasonic is the good stuff. Um, next, moving into the software realm, I want to say Adobe. Um, I've been using Adobe software in general since like as almost my earliest memories, like been, the mid 90s. I've been 90s. using it since uh, sixth grade. Yeah. I've been using it since I was probably like six years old <laughs> oh jeez! oh my god oh my god thanks dad for being a professional photographer and and also <laughs> i i will also interject uh hashtag not sponsored this is honestly just stuff that we mm-hmm, use mm-hmm. um if you guys are interested in hearing us talk about adobe at length um we did a full episode where we talked about adobe alternatives yep. but um spoiler alert adobe is still better yeah 
they uh they've i i can't i can't believe how well they've held on to their market for yeah. this long decades and decades and they still the, there is a yeah. lot of competition but none of the competition comes close it's kind of no. like when um going back to gopro whenever they're like well what about all these chinese knockoffs can any of them be better no they're not better yeah yeah <laughs> There's always trade-offs. Um, but yeah, Adobe, uh, I've been, I have lived in that in their software longer than I think any other tool that I've ever used. I've seen it shift from when practically everything was Mac only um, in like the late '90s to, I mean, having Photoshop on your phone today. It's it's been this kind of through line in my life. I mean, even now where I'm not explicitly a photographer for work, I use Adobe products pretty much every day. Mm -hmm. Um, I have practically made a career out of having a general knowledge of Adobe products in general, and it continues to pay dividends. Um, So it's been great. I mean, I have clutched the most random things out of photoshop that you're never supposed to do i've done graphic design work in it i've done all sorts of stuff that you're not supposed to do motion graphics continued all of their 3d rendering stuff but there was a lot of that going on too. i I have done so many weird things with it um but yeah adobe props um i have struggles with the company but they just continue to dominate and for good reason their product is is great is great yep um this is a little bit of a weird one mini dv now i'm not naming one particular camera oh, because man. i worked with a bunch of different mini dv cameras but believe it or not kids <clears throat> we used to shoot stuff on tape for video and then you had to ingest the tape into a computer before you could when uh, i was in college <laughs> i spent many late nights sitting in the library running my mini dv yep, tape yep. so that i could actually have a digital version of it that could be edited yeah i uh boy through college i shot on mini dv um outside of school i shot on mini dv i mean mini dv was the place to be for a long period of time oh, man i just i just lived in that tape deck room <laughs> just kind of like passed out in a chair just laid out with like you know soda yep. chip crumbs yeah i should waiting for the uh, dv to i should explain a little bit so mini dv is a, is a tape format um so it's basically if you're not a cassette, familiar but for video yeah if you're not familiar with it it's it's basically like a video cassette but it's much smaller um for video it's aimed more at the pro market although consumer stuff came out but ingesting mini dv footage took the same amount of time as the footage that was shot so if you shot two hours of footage it took two it hours took two time. hours to ingest it into a computer yeah. um and yeah so uh, as you said lots of of late nights sitting around a tape deck or a precariously perched camera plugged into a firewire cord and if you bumped oh. it you'd ruin everything it and you just, have to start over oh, yeah you God. have to start over um it was it was a really both an interesting time technologically, but also to me, um, it has a tremendous amount of nostalgia. It's one of those things that like, I kind of understand nostalgia better where I'm like, this was objectively worse in every way. But part of me was like, <laughs> but part of me was like, it's still kind of fun. Um, the no, physicality no, of it Get is really interesting. Get, someone mute his mic. <laughs> but I do have one thing that's good. I do have one thing that's good about it. That's legitimately good because it took so long to ingest. If you, you needed to think about what you were shooting, uh, much like yes, film. Yes, 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 yes. So you couldn't just, well, you could, I guess, if you're shooting an event. But if you were shooting you something, you wanted to edit it together, you wanted to do something narrative, you know, as a post-produced kind of thing. If you just kept shooting, you would have to deal with all that time later, not just in the editing bay, but ingesting it. And so it 
made you more careful. It made you a lot more careful, kind of like film does. You you think about it a little bit more. Unfortunately, I've gotten way back into that lazy habit because digital is so easy that I don't really care as much anymore. But you can shoot it, scrub through it really quick, yep. and delete the clip. Yeah. So we we kind of aren't in that land anymore. But I kind of feel like people shooting video should start on a tape format just to attempt to put their brain in a little bit of a better place <laughs> even though you'll eventually give it up there's um <laughs> there's this one store that definitely no longer exists but i remember it very vividly mm-hmm. you walk in and they have about 50 to 100 tvs mm-hmm. lining mm-hmm. the wall and every single one of these had a vhs or oh, dv boy. cassette so that you could pay them to digitize your stuff for you and everyone's home stuff was just playing on these tvs <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) because if you shot 50 hours of tape it required 50 hours to ingest and there was a dude who was just sitting there kind of recording all of these things and when the tape ends he plucks it out and puts your new stack in and that was a real job what a world what a world yeah so easy now (laughs) i mean you know we're practically on the other side of of sd cards seemingly i mean like with how much storage you can have in your your pocket all the time they have like terabyte sd cards now it's it's amazing it's amazing so mini dv uh had one good thing many bad things about it um the iMac G4, speaking of things that had like one good thing and many bad things about (laughs) it this was the machine that i mostly learned how to edit on um the imac g4 if you're not familiar with it it was one of those I'm like not familiar with it, it was one of those I failed <laughs> apple with my entire being until like after college so it was one of those failed experiments that apple did um it was known as the sunflower mac the lamp mac it was the one where it was kind of a half half sphere of white and then it had this well kind of lamp style arm with a flat panel display attached to it so you could spin it around you could you could place it anywhere you wanted you Don't could you tilt it up and down of these i have garage? i have a pallet of these yeah. okay just um, check it. which i bought more than a decade ago and i still haven't done anything with them i just keep carting them around every time i move it's really great <laughs> um so iMac G4 really interestingly designed machine um i still like his design uh i liked the software a lot at the time um i it was uh i was using final cut something at the time and i actually edited on final cut for a large percentage of my career and then in college switched over to premiere um i had access to premiere but i never really used it um and then the big shift was when they went to final cut 10 or x or whatever you want to refer to it as and they really dumbed it down they have since pulled some of that stuff back but that was my impetus to really jump full full into premiere um but anyway uh lots of nostalgia for the g4 um objectively not a great machine but i loved the design someday i'm going to like make a modern version of it um but uh yeah it's a machine i learned to edit on lots of nostalgia for that boy those like circular mice those sucked they were so bad <laughs> they were so bad they were like weird hockey pucks yep i could i could forgive the hardware being not the greatest because it was in this weird little half dome the monitors are actually pretty good and being able to adjust them was like an early thing in the industry but some of the peripherals were terrible Jeez, um firewire though good stuff uh and the last one leds um this is just so generic, but uh, this is another thing that I think I think has shifted the industry and something that I just appreciate from a tech perspective. Um, I mean, LEDs were a tremendous 
innovation in the first place. You know, if you started with blue, these blue LEDs, um, that was a big deal to have a light emitting source that took so little power and was so adaptable. And we have done so many crazy things with them. I mean, we have LED strobes, we have LED video lights, we have RGB panel lights, we've like changed all of the our housing lights towards LEDs. But um, it's one of the things that uh, I just really enjoy experimenting with and I've been able to be creative with LEDs, especially RGB LEDs in ways that I wouldn't be able to easily with any other light source. Um, it made the, it made shooting video with like really vibrant colors, you know, really kind of pushing the limits, really artistic stuff, much more approachable and much cheaper than it used to be. You used to have to rent or buy crazy expensive like halogen fixtures and put mm-hmm. plastic over it at least for video and, and hope that it all melt. worked out yeah i hope you don't melt it i, re- um, I, re- I remember uh my very f- uh, one of my very first photo jobs um i was basically turned my um this is not a finished basement this is mm-hmm. more of a crawl space that someone happened to put wood pallets down on that this that and it was tall enough that you could almost stand up in yeah, so about. i i had to sit down and i kind of turned this weird little like it was like five feet wide by like 10 feet long and i turned that into my studio and you helped me get it out yep. and there was one outlet down there and the thing is if you you had a 500 watt light that 500 watt light literally took 500 mm-hmm, watts mm-hmm. and i kept blowing my breaker much to the annoyance of my wife and neighbors because <laughs> uh, it was like a duplex mm-hmm. um <laughs> why i kept blowing my breakers uh especially on the neighbor side janky freaking house anyway yeah um but yeah i had to buy leds because one i needed more lights than i had outlets and wattage for but yep. also like i didn't want to burn the place down as i was recording for hours at a time mm. in this tiny little space so no it was honestly just revolutionary um and now led is absolutely the standard yep yep yeah another industry shift um and it's allowed for all sorts of cool things that you couldn't do before. I mean, like we've done experimenting with uh, like lighting miniatures that you couldn't reasonably do with old style, huge power hungry lights. No, like straight up. You could not do you grab a tiny little light cube and you stick it down under the miniature. And now you have up lighting without LEDs. That doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Among many, many, many other things. Um, But yeah, that is my top 10 list in no particular order of, the best photo things of all time get, get in my opinion applause going yeah for there. yeah let's get some applause really delayed applause because i have to change hey, to another bank there we go <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be right back after these commercial messages Hi, this episode is brought to you by me, because we're not sponsored by anybody. I know I'm wearing a black rapid shirt, but that's because once upon a time I did some work for them, and uh, this was some free swag that they gave me for doing all the photos on their website. True story. Anyway, um... I represent the current uh, sponsorship of the show. No brands. (laughs) (laughs) No brands. (laughs) All right. This is my commercial. (laughs) Thank you very much. Anyway, uh, if you'd like to uh, help out the show, um, 
sponsor us, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, uh, you can go to my Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash nom creative. There are two tip jars there, one for my personal YouTube channel and one for this show, the Photo Op Podcast. Uh, right now, it's just tip jar. It's a dollar. Mm-hmm. So you can give a dollar to the show. Um, all that money pretty much goes to Stuart since he's the only one who's put any <laughs> money into this show. Um, but uh, thank you so much to all of our Patreon subscribers. If you would like to support us and the show, if you find this entertaining or educational, every dollar helps. So that is patreon.com slash nomcreative. Back to our show. Help keep our influencer dreams alive. Welcome back to the Photo Op Podcast. Before the break, uh, we talked about Stuart's top 10 best mm-hmm. stuff of all time, and now we're going to talk about mine. Now Ben's in the hot seat. Now I'm in the hot seat. Best photo stuff of all time. So uh, the first thing I have to start with is Costco. Costco. I mean, Kirkland Signature, good yeah, stuff. Yes. Yeah. So, I'm into it. So um, when they sell camera bundles, essentially it is the same price as the camera body, except you get free kit lenses, free bag, free screen cleaner, mm-hmm, free mm-hmm. extra battery. Just like they just throw in a ton of extra stuff that you get. For sure. So um, honestly, any camera that they sell is good enough to start on. Um if you already have a camera and you're looking to upgrade, that is one thing altogether. Mm-hmm, but if mm-hmm. you are looking for a very first camera, you cannot go wrong with whatever. Um, I generally tell people just kind of like walk into a camera store, pick stuff up, and see what feels good in your hands. Um, yep, yep. But lacking that, go to Costco. My very first camera um, was actually my textbook budget um, I had $500 a quarter for textbooks, and that quarter, I spent it all on a camera because I walked into a class, and they said, if you do not own a camera, you will not pass this class. So mm. uh, <laughs> the next morning, I go to Costco, Brutal. I buy a camera, and I show up to class with this unopened Costco kit camera box, and everyone's like, this motherfucker. And then you Are filmed you- the first unboxing video. <laughs> I didn't. I did not. No, but everyone in this class is like, this motherfucker. Are you kidding me right now with the brand new camera? It's so fancy. It's a Camera Rebel XSI. It's got 12. Ooh. Ooh. It's got 12 fancy. megapixels. It shoots three frames per second. I was the height of luxury back then. Indeed, indeed. Nice. Um, by today's st- standards, that camera sucks. But I still have it because... Uh, nostalgia also i'm a little bit of a hoarder and have a hard time getting rid of things but mounted in a frame that is neither here nor there um number two on my list a color checker Ooh, color checker. color checker i should have had it with me here but um i use the color checker by x-rite um just but honestly my first color checker was just like three cards on a lanyard and I just, hey, it works. I just fanned them out, um, but eventually they got dirty and scuffed, and the gray wasn't quite gray anymore. It had a little too much red in it just from being so dirty. Yeah. Um, but no, the X-Rite Color Checker, um, I use it all the time. Um, I use it to white balance. I use it when uh, I'm trying to dial in like really specific like blues and reds and oranges. Um, camera sensors have a hard time kind of rendering those super vibrant colors, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. the X-Rite Color Checker can create a new color profile that can bring all that stuff back but even on a super basic level of just like if i walk into a room and there is candlelight and uh incandescent light and maybe a fluorescent bulb and a window 
and I'm trying to add in a daylight balanced flash. <laughs> I'm just like, I don't know what's Good happening luck. right now. I don't know what the color is supposed to be. So what I do is I use the color checker. I just I just kind of shoot on auto and like fix it in post. Oh my god, I can't believe mm. I just said that. <laughs> uh, no, but the auto white balance for the like my camera tries to figure it out and it's eh, close ish but wrong. But what I'll do is I'll click on the color checker yep. in post, sync everything up so now it is all actually like technically correct. Um, but then that is my starting point and I can look at it and go, wow, this looks bad and I can tweak it until it looks good to my eye. But at least I start in a place that's neutral and neutralizes all of the fricking wonkiness of all the random light mm-hmm. sources. So if you've ever noticed, like if you shoot somebody photo or video and they have a red shirt on it and it looks like blown out in a way, that's how you fix that. That is how you fix that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's both white balance and exposure and saturation. So yep. you need to tweak all and like luminance, you need to tweak all of those things and a color checker helps you infinitely with that. If only sensors were good enough that they represented what we see perfectly. We're we don't live in that close. world. We're getting pretty we're close. Getting we're not quite there yet. <laughs> um, next is off camera flash. Um, so my very first off camera flash. Oh God, what was it? I think it was a Victor Smith. It cost hmm. about $20. <laughs> and it had an opt it it was it basically looked like um uh, a deck of cards mm, mm. and on the skinny side of the deck of cards it had a flash and it had a big red panel that was its optical oh, sensor oh yeah yeah and so it would flash when it saw another flash so i would hook these uh, i would like put them on stacks of books or like hang them from like the door jam in my um apartment do what you and, need to do and just or like tape them to things um, because uh, I think they had mounts, but the mounts sucked, and I didn't really own equipment that you could mount things to. For sure. So I had an on-camera flash that would just aim up at the ceiling, and then these would give me my directional light. And I did so much stuff with these really bad, cheap twenty-dollars lights. But um, if you don't learn how to use light and you don't learn how to sculpt light, then um, you're Honestly, you haven't really learned your craft. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are definitely people like Danny Diamond who are natural light, but he he knows how to use off-camera light. Mm-hmm. And because he knows how to use off-camera light, he is a master at finding the thing that he wants naturally occurring in the world, whether that is a window or a lamppost or something. And if you don't know how to change and sculpt, um, off-camera light is how you do that. So everyone, everyone out there, Get an off-camera flash. Get in. A, get an off-camera light. Buy some LED panels. Do something. Learn how to light and sculpt your subjects. That is. That is like the one key element to being a photographer. And I cannot say that enough. If you're a natural light photographer, I hate you with every fiber of my being. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Not really. Um, <laughs> All I need is the little pop-up flash that it, that's at the top of the camera. Right. Yeah. Get out. That one doesn't have one. The camera must not be that good. It, 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 <laughs> it's so true. Actually, uh, so so you recently got married, and yes. after all of the festivities were over, um, at the end of the night, uh, one of your guests was trying to take a photo of some of their family oh, members no. on the balcony in the sunset, mm-hmm. and they're like, I don't understand how to do it. I'm like, turn on your pop-up flash. <laughs> and they're like, what? And they're like, oh, my camera must not be good enough. It doesn't have one. I'm like, no, that means you have a really expensive camera. <laughs> that actually means you have a great camera and you're supposed to have an external flash unit, but you don't. Oh, I'm so sorry. But um, so then I pulled out my uh, phone and I turned on the little like flashlight on the phone. Hey, I'm like, I got you. I got you. 
So ho- hopefully your friend, cousin, family member, whoever whoever that was on the balcony got, got a nice sunset photo. There were a couple of them wandering around. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> um, next up on my list, number four, online training slash in-person workshops. Ooh. Um, I have a degree in interdisciplinary visual arts with a focus in design and photography. And that means absolutely nothing to anyone. Literally no one cares at all. I hold my diploma and cry at night. That is, <laughs> um, that is how that works. But no, I pretty much learned everything I know from online trainings and in-person workshops. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, I will, I, it has been a goal of mine for a while now to make some of these online trainings. And I've kind of, Dipped. Well, I've had jobs where I've made online trainings for other people, but I would like to do it for myself. Um, that is kind of why I started this YouTube channel of like yeah. all of my online trainings right now are short form tutorials that are all absolutely free. Um, hopefully by the new year ish, I will actually have some longer in depth courses on random stuff. Um, but hard to do, it turns out. It is very difficult and time-consuming to put together, especially when when I'm doing it for someone else. That's my job. I'm getting paid to do it. When I'm doing it for myself, I have to find the time on top of doing paid things to yep. do it. And it always kind of gets put by the wayside, you know? But um, no, that's how I learned. Um, so sign up for online trainings. But some people just like, it is nice. And this goes directly into my next uh, thing, number five. Being able to ask professionals stupid questions. <laughs> I know that's not a physical, tangible thing, but it is It is my absolute top. I used to have more of a problem with this, I feel like. Um, but I, I, now I have increasingly no shame, and I'm just going to ask stupid questions all the time. Yeah, Why not? no. So there were, <laughs> there were two kind of um, moments or interactions kind of in my development that fundamentally kind of shifted how I kind of think about things. Um, one of them was there was a just news journalist, some person who had this big steady cam rig and it had these giant freaking battery packs on it and mm. with like the chargers and everything. And I asked him, I'm like, Hey, steady cams. I know how they work. They're not gimbals. <laughs> They're steady cams. Why does a steady cam have a battery? I don't, I honestly like, <laughs> I look it up and when I Google that question, the results give me nothing. And I had the audacity to walk up to these <laughs> working professional as he was packing up his gear and ask him a question. It was on the UW campus. Mm, yeah. So, like, there's that. Yeah. It's not like I just walked up to him in a Starbucks or something. But, um, what's wrong with your equipment? Yeah. <laughs> Explain. But I'm, but I'm like, hey, can I ask you a question? He's like, yeah, shoot. Um, and it was like, why does the steady cam have a battery? Like, it doesn't need a battery. I don't understand. He said, well, you attach a lot of peripherals to the steady cam. And now, instead of having to rebalance or replace each of those batteries individually, the steady cam battery runs everything your camera, your monitor, your mic. Such a cool setup. And I'm like, oh, I don't understand why that was never on Google. Why was that not an easy answer? Mm-hmm. It's so obvious now, but at the time, it was a very stupid question. I didn't understand it. And what he told me is whenever someone takes the time to ask you a question, take the time to answer it. Yeah. And that is honestly why I like teach now and why I uh, love your questions. So, um, yeah, no, that, that was great. And then the other kind of fundamental thing is I went to uh, a seminar where Dave Hill, legendary photographer, he used to do composites and now he does more kind of analog film stuff. Um, He kind of walked through how he shot his stuff and how he built it. And there were all these tutorials online of like, here's how you use Photoshop to fake the Dave Hill effect. But like they all looked just a little bit wrong. A little off. 
And when I saw how he did it, it was honestly just a long series of very easy steps. And I'm like, I know how to do step one, step two, step three, step four. But all of the tutorials online say, you know what? Do step one, skip all of these other ones, try step six, and like, yeah, close enough. It's like, no, <laughs> if you have the patience to go through and do all the easy things, now your one composite piece is done. And you just have to repeat that process for every single piece. It's time and patience and effort and attention to detail. And you just repeat that process until you come up with something amazing. And honestly, that's the difference between Dave Hill and every other online wannabe. It's just like, oh, he took the time and the attention to detail and they developed a process. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. so it's just a lot of very small, easy steps that you just repeat. It's more of just, here's a toolbox know when to use what tool Mm -hmm. kind of the nasa model like incredibly elaborate difficult tasks but the philosophy is you can break anything of any difficulty down into small easy tasks and you'll eventually get there yeah Yeah. exactly exactly so but people don't want to do all the tasks indeed Uh, so yeah sometimes (laughs) being able to ask stupid questions gives you little easy answers that can launch you into outer space for sure for sure um, next on my list, uh, most important photo thing, the PSB file format. Interesting. <laughs> Photoshop big. Big. <laughs> so uh, the photo that is right behind Stuart's head, uh, this photo that I took in Iceland, the Photoshop file for that is about 13 gigabytes. Pretty hefty. Um, needless to say, it does not fit the PSD um, format. It is PSB as in big. Um, so yeah, PSB files. Um, I'm actually do, uh, doing a job for a client right now where I have about 15 to 20 different uh, files for them. Mm-hmm. And between these 15 to 20 different files, I have to kick out something like uh, 80 to 100 assets per file um, because it's all these kind of accessories for an online e-commerce site. And each one of their files, the smallest one is about six gigs. And I think the biggest one is like nine and a half gigs. And pretty big. Photoshop PSB makes that all possible. So I just have these insanely large Photoshop files. Um, because once upon a time, I went to um, a seminar with Burt Monroe, who is an excellent digital illustrator. And he will have a Photoshop file of a nut. <laughs> like like a bull- he, he he does illustration yeah, yeah. right but his illustration is so intense that if you see a city scene where there's a very small train you can zoom in so far on that train that you can see the rust on the individual rivets on the thing That's cool. and so he'll have one photoshop file for that and then he had to like turn that into a smart object or whatever and then um he and basically He repeats it a bunch of times, but then he has another Photoshop file for this thing, and he has kind of all of these layered, nested things because way back once upon a time, you didn't you had this four gigabyte cap of files, and he was going over that massively. Someday it's going to happen again. Then Adobe is going to release PSC for Photoshop Chonk. Love it. Love it. I think we need to break the two terabyte file system barrier for that. I think. I think that's the, I think that's the next barrier. Oh man. Oh, I'm just thinking how big my server array is gonna have to be to make that happen, and it makes me cry a little bit inside. Hmm. Oh man. Fun times. Um all right. Next up, uh number num- what is it? Number seven, I think. Think so. 
I think so. Okay, uh, number seven on my list. Uh, I'm going to read the title of it. it. This is awkward. The Manfrotto Air Cushioned Compact Stand Quick Stack. Not sponsored. Hashtag not sponsored, which I've got just a couple of them. Just a few. Just I, I own just a few of these. <laughs> um, For those of us that are listening and not watching, there's at least... Uh, how many are there? Uh, Se- seven. seven. Yeah, seven. And I think I have two more in my photo bag over there that mm-hmm. I forgot to pull So you're out. approaching ten. Um, <laughs> I, I've got... I, I love this stand so much. Also, uh, once upon a time, I broke one of these. Um, like the knob doesn't lock anymore or something. Mm-hmm. So I gave it to Trina because it's a great wig stand. She puts her oh, wig nice. on it and now she can use it to like detangle for her costuming and stuff. But um, yeah, not only do I love these stands, they're air cushioned, they're strong, they're sturdy, they're super lightweight, which is good when you're trying to travel with them, bad when you're trying to put something heavy on them. But you know, that's physics for yeah. you. But they click together and they stack in a row. Do you think you could transport seven stands in this small no you'd have to have a bag or accessory carrier and they'd all just be jingling along and they would take up at least three times that much space very cool i own none of these but i probably should so um (laughs) i i realized recently i i love this stand way too much um to the point where i bought more of them even though i i have a problem i probably don't need this many but they're super useful so well hopefully they keep keep making them to that standard it's gonna be like a it's gonna be like a lens mount shift if you have to buy a new one i bought my first one like 10 years ago and i bought my most recent one like last month so So they're holding to it you know what yeah yeah they're sticking around they're sticking around um number eight the think tank speed belt so this is just a big Ah. fancy padded belt that you wear but then you can add all of these attachments and pouches to it um for the longest time i thought 300 dollars for a belt this is stupid i hate it i'm never buying one and then uh is it made out of like alligator skin so it's 300 dollars i i believe it is only (laughs) endangered species dodo Uh, bird okay okay. yeah Um, worth it that's that's where all the padding comes from (laughs) diamonds (laughs) yeah (laughs) only the finest swarovski crystals for all of these padded cases no we we joke but but it it, for the longest time i'm like this is silly this is stupid i hate it um Mm -hmm. at that same time i also had a camera bag for all my c-stands and when i say camera bag what i mean is golf it was a golf bag nice and i put all my c-stands in it but the pat um i remember one time i moved it about 10 minutes just to the car Mm -hmm. and i had completely broken out from the sweat and the weight of the i'm like this isn't working anymore (laughs) i need i need something that's better i need something that's uh not getting destroyed what you need need is a golf cart with wheels Uh, so then I bought the think tank stand bag and it was kind of that same thing where like, Oh man, like I have this backpack, but my particular backpack, I had to set it down on the ground and open it from the back to be able to get everything out of it. Uh, kind of clunky. I did recently buy a bag that is for city. So you can just like pull stuff out of the side. Hmm. But I don't like that because I often try to pick it up and the backside's open and all my crap falls off and oh, I'm damaging my hmm. gear. Not so good. Yeah. I'm, I'm still not a fan of it. Anyway, Hmm. But um, I finally got around to buying it because I had to shoot on public transit. And I didn't oh. want to have to like set all my stuff down. I'm like, oh, I'm, yeah. you know what? This will come in handy. I'll just bite the bullet. And it was the best thing ever. I use it at every wedding. I use it basically pretty much anytime I go out. Nine he sleeps tenths, in it. I, I sleep <laughs> in it. 
Yeah, just just huge chunky belt. My seventy two <laughs> is that a seventy two hundred in your pocket? Or are you happy to see me? <laughs> um, exactly. Um, but yeah, no. Uh, I realize this is stupid expensive, but it is absolutely worth it. I was an idiot and I should have bought it sooner. It saved my back. It made me um, more versatile. It made me faster. It made me more efficient, more organized. It made me look more professional. It just like. 100% worth it and you just have to bite the bullet sometime and buy the good thing yep yep buy once yeah. cry once yeah uh number nine the westcott rapid box um Ooh. yeah i i give westcott a lot of crap bring up westcott in the yeah. top 10 yeah westcott in my top 10 i i have had this on my video to do a best and worst of westcott video um i heard no. on youtube comments that you're a westcott hater uh yes oh my god <laughs> Yeah, uh, that is one of my most popular videos, <laughs> and not for the reasons you think. People hate it so much. Anyway, uh, no, the Westcott Rapid Box is phenomenal, and I bring it with me pretty much everywhere. Um, just Google it. See, he's not a Westcott hater, confirmed. Google it. Yeah, there you go. And number 10. Okay, this one, I, I had a hard time kind of coming up up with stuff and i realized this one is just sentimental to me mm -hmm. um so this is the camera strap by vulture equipment works which i happen to have with me right here so is this particularly useful or give me any functionality beyond a normal camera strap no does it look dope as hell yeah it does it's got big d-rings on it for yeah, those of it us listening it is basically made of like um military pilot strap it's it's um advertises like um the same thing that people would have for helicopters um and it's like a harness got, like it's even got the quick release thing oh cool um, those are cool i i have mine still tied down because i don't want to quick release it that would mm -hmm. be a bad day for me <laughs> um but but yeah so i just love this strap so much because it makes me feel badass as i'm wearing it and people are just like ooh, it's an interesting um and for me, it was, um, I kind of saw it, but it was like $150 or something. Ooh, okay. And, and it felt frivolous. And mm -hmm. I'm like, obviously I'm not going to, I have the strap that came with my camera. Why mm -hmm. would mm -hmm. I do that? But, um, I kind of set that as like an income benchmark milestone. I'm like, once I reach this level, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to buy the frivolous <laughs> thing. And now like, it's still a lot of money, but compared to all the other crap I've bought, $150 is a drop in the bucket. And Hey, if it gets you in the groove. Yeah. yeah. And so I just love this strap because it makes me feel awesome. Um, and that is going to be different for everyone. Some people do black rapid stuff. Like, um, I wish they would have given me swag that I could use. <laughs> Do a comparison. That would that, that would have been nice. Um, so when you got your belt and you got your strap, you're good to go. Yeah, honestly. Um, so no, it was just one of those things that like it it makes me feel cool, and it's it's total vanity. But um, it's just yeah, I made it. I'm I'm gonna have the cool thing. Just, For sure. Sometimes you get the cool thing. Yeah. There, there you go. That's it. So that top is my, ten. That's my top ten uh, favorite things of all time. And now we enter part three of our show. <laughs> Where we will poorly explain what we do for a living. Yes, we will. All right. Stuart, poorly explain what you do for a living. Well, you already said it. Poorly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a light collection and pixel arrangement specialist. I'm an importer-exporter. Ah, 
I see what you did. Mm-hmm. I, you did mm-hmm. uh, I charge money for what Uncle Bob does for free. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's with that? I'm a professional stand organizer. Uh, I listen to people telling me that I have such a great camera. <laughs> well, I yell at clouds. <laughs> it's true. Darn clouds. It, it can be really annoying <laughs> sometimes. I record what people do while under the influence. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, I make art out of gaff tape. I take photos of properties no one can afford so someone overseas can buy it as a status symbol and never spend any time there. Ooh, that's I, I feel like we need literally too close again. to home. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, I capture a moment in liminal space. Uh, I hit one button on a black box and then I move that to a different black box and hit more buttons. Man, that's so many careers. <laughs> oh, yeah. I work for Exposure. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> that that one hurt. <laughs> that one hurts deeply. <laughs> I leave people suddenly questioning what to do with their hands. I trap photons in quantum wells. Uh, according to most people, my camera takes such good photos and Photoshop fixes the rest. So I guess I don't actually do that much. Yeah, especially since Uncle Bob is doing it for free. I, I know, right? <laughs> I watch the markets. The hard drive markets. Yeah, you do. <laughs> Very he's, much. He's my hard drive hookup every time we go on sale. <laughs> True story. Uh, I produce and arrange pixels of various colors in a manner that when viewed by a human, release chemicals in the brain that cause emotion. Ooh, deep. I'm a pack mule. Ditto. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm an unlicensed therapist. <laughs> I'm the shoulder people shoot phone photos over. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, very true. Uh, I arrange people in groups and flash them. Ooh, spicy. I attach things to other things in increasingly ridiculous situations. <laughs> I shine bright lights in people's eyes and tell them to smile. I know what a click costs. Uh, I complain how broke I am while about holding 10 grand worth of gear. <laughs> this is why I'm broke. <laughs> Hashtag, this is why I'm broke. All right, so thank you, everyone, <laughs> for sticking it out for this extra long, extra special episode 100 extravaganza. Yay! Yay! <laughs> um, in case you missed it earlier, if you would like to support this show moving forward, you can do so with the tip jar on my Patreon, patreon.com slash nomcreative. Thank you guys all so much. We have uh, one more listener question kind of in the queue, but if you have any questions, uh, all of that info will be in the outro. Thank you guys so much for listening. This has been a phenomenal journey so far. We're coming up on like two years of doing this podcast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is great. Um, yeah, just seriously, we couldn't do it without... Um, I absolutely f- just feed on all of your feedback and creativity. <laughs> um, someone commented on one of these podcasts on the YouTube channel. Um, how does this absolutely perfect video only have 71 views? And I'm like, oh, yes. Thank you. That'll keep me going for another 50 <laughs> episodes. Thank you so much. Um, t- seriously, everyone, um, go support that Patreon. Click like, subscribe, share with a friend. Let us know what you want to see next time. We will see you in the next episode. Here's to 100 episodes and now to 100 hours. Whenever that is. Episode 178 or something, probably. Let's, let's do one minute episodes and it'll be episode 4,000. <laughs> <000 and, no. laughs> if you have questions or ideas for future episodes, you can email us at hello at photo dash op dot show watch us on ben's youtube channel at nom creative as in om nom nom share this with a friend and you can listen to photo op anywhere podcasts are sold or downloaded <laughs>
Cause it's free.